Good morning. Thank you for being with us today. If you're a guest, my name's Ray, one of the pastors here at Calvary. And uh, I got to thinking, if you're a guest here, and you see uh, some pretty exuberant people when it comes to worship. We believe it's normal for every person to get deliriously happy worshiping God. And so uh, that's our prayer, that you would just become one of those, those people. So... Uh, we, let's get the important stuff out of the way first before we jump into the Word of God, because many of you, I even hated myself just saying that. Well, let's get out of the way. How many are glad the Mariners won? Yeah. Okay, good. Let's pray. No. It was amazing. When I left, it was, they were losing 8-1, and now they've come back, and uh, they took it. Praise the Lord. You know why? Because they didn't have a game at 11, and so you get to be here. And so I'm grateful for that. That's frankly all that mattered to me. So, but we're glad you're here. And uh, I facetiously said something. I mean, those kinds of events are good, and I'm happy for them. But you know what? What we're doing here today is so much more important. We're going to look at God's word. We're going to set the course for the next few weeks, the next few months, maybe even the next few years. That's truly important. When you compare the Word of God to what the Seahawks are doing today, Word of God wins every time. <laughs> I could go off on that, but I'm not going to. It wins, <laughs> as opposed to, never mind. Uh, you know, I, I pray that the Mariners do real well, but you know what I, I, I do pray? I pray that Calvary community catches vision and purpose. That when we walk out these doors, we're committed to seeing Jesus high and lifted up in our community. That nothing, nothing gets past that, that we're about that. And if you're a guest here today, we invite you to be a part of our family here at Calvary. You're going to hear that word a lot, because that's what we want to be. That's what we, that's what we are, family. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time. Uh, we have this saying about respect in the word as we begin. And let's, let's read this passage of scripture together. Uh, it's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. By the way, whoever's up in the booth... That's Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 12, 1 and 2, not Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Just thought I, I caught that today. Uh, anyway, Ephesians chapter 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Lord, today, as we open your word, may it go deep within our hearts. May we... Grow up into who Christ Jesus is, and may we do it all in love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So, uh, by the way, last week was an amazing service. I don't know if you were here, but man, I, I, was, I still uh, I am in awe of what the Lord did as we anointed hundreds with oil, the oil having no inherent power of itself. It's just an example, a metaphor, if you will, of the Holy Spirit along with wind, fire, water, and the dove uh, oil is, is uh, in, in the Old Testament, especially, and in the New, people were anointed with oil when they wanted to be separated for God's purposes. People were anointed with oil when they wanted to say, you know what, I'm tired of the status quo, I want something more. They were anointed with oil when God laid their hand, God laid his hand upon them and said, I've called you for, for something more than what this world has to offer. It means to be set apart, it means that you're no longer satisfied with the way things are going and so as a congregation, as a staff, as a pastoral team, we believe God is raising up what we would call a remnant. 
That's a small group of people within a larger context of people that God's raising up to to lead the way in terms of what we call an old-fashioned word revival or renewal. That there would be a group of people that were so passionate for Jesus Christ, so filled with the Holy Spirit, that nothing else mattered but going out there and being the church to a lost and dying world. Because I think that's the purpose of the church. If we're not witnesses of Jesus, if we're not walking, helping people turn their eyes upon him, then we really have no, 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 no function. If it's not to glorify God and to bring people into the presence of Jesus, then what are we about really? And that's our heart's cry today, to be those kinds of people. Uh, we we want to be, if you will, we want to be the new church, but look exactly like the old church. The Acts chapter 2 church. And that, that, where'd I go? There I am again. <laughs> and so, hey, uh, let, let's do a quick survey. I'm just curious, how many of you, uh, you know, COVID was a, a real uh, change event. How many of you have uh, attended, started attending Calvary after the, the pandemic? Would you lift your hand? I mean, wow. Hey, we welcome you guys. Thank you for coming. But yeah, we can even clap for that. Uh, thank you. How many, how many of the last 30 days? I'm just curious. 30 days? Well, thanks for being with us. We're, we're glad that you're here. And it means a lot that you would join us. So uh, prior to COVID, our attendance, we, we, we averaged somewhere in attendance, somewhere around 13 to 1,500, somewhere in that, in that, that range right now. Uh, before COVID, we averaged, I'm just giving you some facts and figures here, we averaged about 21, 2,200. Uh, but COVID, COVID and what I call and what I think historically will be a, a, a turning point in history, it's what I'm calling the Great Migration. I mean, we had people move like crazy. I mean, I'm not just, I'm talking almost to, 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 uh, to Texas, to Wyoming, to Mississippi, to Oklahoma, to Mississippi, to uh, Idaho, to you name it, just about every state in the union, to Alaska. People moved all over the place. They even moved to Phoenix. And, you know, I don't mean to complain, but, you know, uh, uh, we could have a second congregation in Phoenix. I'm just telling you right now. I mean, they, a ton of people are there. And, 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 and people leave for different reasons. Some people, some people move to get closer to their kids. They want to be by their grandkids. And there's absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, some people move to get away from their grandkids. And that, that's not as nice, but let's be honest about it. It, it, it happens. So... Uh, some people, friends of mine, they found other states more conducive to retirement. You know, it's just cheaper to live certain places, let's be honest about it, than here. Uh, it, it's conducive with tax laws and everything like that. Uh, some move for the weather. I mean, I don't know how you can beat this weather. I got to be honest with you. This is something special here. and We ought to enjoy it while we got it because, you know, it's not a faith thing. I'm just telling you, it's eventually going to rain. <laughs> and so you, you got to be prepared for that. But, you know... Uh, I take a little rain in 115 degree heat, but that's just me. I'm smarter than most folks. So, um, and then I'm, 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 I'm humbly arrogant. And, uh, you know, some people feel like moving to another, another area to fulfill God's purpose. Uh, Pastor Jeremy and Lindsay are now serving in a church in Aiden, Idaho, and we wish them all the best. The, the, the darker side of that is some people left because we, were, we weren't political enough. We weren't political enough. We didn't, we didn't do the dance that brought disunity and divisiveness and, and was sin. But that's my own opinion. Uh, others thought we were too political. Believe it or not, you can get slapped from both sides, which we did many times. 
you're too much, you're not enough. Oh, for the love, I mean, it was, it was one of those interesting moments in, in ministry, I have to tell you. And, and so I, I found it interesting that most people, you know, it's interesting, most people don't care what you believe about the Trinity, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, but man, they get, they, they go ballistic if you, don't, if you don't share their political views. Crazy? Don't care what you believe about Jesus, but how, if, you, if you don't vote red or, or blue, then if you don't vote with them, then they go crazy. And so uh, COVID didn't cause all this, but it revealed what was in the heart of, most, of a lot of people. I said most people, I don't want to say that. It revealed what was hard in some people. And uh, uh, sometimes we focused on things that we shouldn't have been focusing on that created disunity and divisiveness. And I just want to tell you up front, we, we, we're, not, we're not having it here. Okay, we're going to focus on Jesus. And if that's not good enough, then I don't know what else to give you. I really don't. You don't have to clap for it, but just so you all know. Yeah, a little. Okay, that's good. Um, now, I shared last year, I think it was last year, it could have been this year, I, my memory, I don't remember like I used to, gets me in trouble sometimes. Uh, I shared my, my discouragement. I mean, like a lot of pastors, who many of them have quit or retired, uh, I got discouraged. I, I, I really did. And, and it wasn't God's fault. God's never failed me. And I say that gratefully. God's never failed but how many know if you start looking at people and take your eyes off Jesus, it's never good. It's just never good. You start looking at people and all of a sudden you can get just, and so I had to go up to St. George, Utah to my little place there in St. George where I walk the hills and I pray and I seek the Lord and I worship and God meets me where I'm at and restores my soul and gets me back on path. Um, uh, but I took my eyes off Jesus and you can't do that. You just can't. You, I should close in prayer with that. You just can't do that. I won't, but I could. Dallas Willard, uh, a professor before he passed away at USC, University of Southern California, uh, was a, one of the preeminent theologians of our day, and he was asked, he wrote The Spirit of the Disciplines, The Divine Conspiracy, and a host of other books. He was asked, he was asked this question, uh, why wasn't the church raising up more people who look and act like Jesus? So the question was this, when you look at how off track the church is, do you ever just throw up your hands in despair? That's the interviewer. Dallas Willard said this. He said, he smiled and he said this, never. The interviewer said, but how, how can you not? And, and Dallas Willard said this, because I know Jesus and he knows what he's doing. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Listen, at the end of the day, I know Jesus and he knows what he's doing. You may not know what you're doing. I may not know what I'm doing, but there's a God who's real and Jesus knows what he's doing. And so our hope and our faith isn't in you or me, it's in Jesus today. And so a look at her church history will tell you that we've blown it a lot. You know, whether it be the Inquisition, the, the I mean, on and on. It's just, it, it, it can get a little awful out there. People going crazy. Uh, many times the church lost its focus, focused on things of this world rather than on the things of God majored on minors instead of the mission Jesus gave the church and allowed divisiveness and disunity to be the rule of the day. But the good news is this, no matter how badly we, you and me, mess things up, Jesus is still in charge and he knows what he's doing. No matter what. Remember, it was Jesus, we said this last week, it was Jesus who said, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I've read the end of the book. You know what I'm about to say? Jesus wins. Jesus wins. He gave us his Holy Spirit. 
He said, it's to your advantage that I go away because I'll send my Holy Spirit. He will encourage, he'll counsel, he'll admonish, he'll exhort, he'll, he'll, he'll counsel you, he'll be your helper, your comforter, he'll do all these things. So if you're a believer today, the Holy Spirit of the Lord lives within you. And, and, and so, and, and with that in mind, he keeps us, the Holy Spirit keeps us in line, should, if we'll listen, yield, submit, and surrender, keeps us in line with the mission of God, with the missio Dei, keeps us in line to be his witnesses to the, to the ends of the earth. And, uh, you know, our mission statement, Pastor Daniel shared it, it was to help people know Jesus and experience life change. When I first came, before we shortened it way, way, way up, it was this, this one run-on sentence, to reach the greater Puyallup for the Lord Jesus Christ, heal germ, heal germs. Heal germs, all germs, including COVID. <laughs> to reach the greater Puyallup for the Lord Jesus Christ, heal hurts, build dreams, and bring salvation to everyone. And that's what it's been for 35 years, that kind of mission. Now, 2,000 and some years ago, the Holy Spirit came. Jesus ascended, that's the ascension. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes in, and there was this mighty rushing wind. Spirit, uh, flames of fire sat on each believer in that upper room, and they got fired up. They got full of the Holy Spirit. They began to go outside and speak in other languages. People from all around the world came to know that the, the mighty works of God, according to Scripture, they heard about Jesus Christ in their own language. And they were amazed. And then Peter gets up, filled with the Spirit, the coward of Calvary, we called him last week. He gets up and he preaches this dynamic message and thousands of people. Uh, the Bible said this, he, uh, Acts 2 and 41. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 people, 3,000 souls. How many think that might be a revival? I mean, 3,000, I mean, that's, that's like a Billy Graham thing, man. I mean, that's huge. And it, it, it overwhelmed and well, and then we say, okay, that's revival. That's God's done his work. No, 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 no. That's just the beginning. Are you, you with me here? Don't think about that football game. You do, they'll lose. You got to focus here. Okay? If they lose, it'll be your fault for letting your mind wander. So you do what you want. Right here. Focus. That's not the end of the story. What's the, what's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say? The church began. The Holy Spirit came and the church began and it was a powerful, dynamic time and it would spread throughout the known world until 2,000 years later. You and I sit here today because of Pentecost and the church being established in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 because of what God has done. You and I are here today. How cool is that? And that, that's what happened. The, the church, it's from two words. Ecclesia, which means the called out ones and Kyriakon, which means dedicated to the Lord. You don't know who you are today. And sometimes I forget who I am. The Bible says you've been, according to his purposes, you've been called out. You have, your life has been dedicated unto the Lord. That's who you are. Quit forgetting. Because the world is desperate for a group of people who remember who they are. We are called out according to the Jesus Christ. We've been filled with the Spirit and dedicated unto the Lord. The church, the body of Christ is called out to be his witnesses. And we've been dedicated unto that. The question always is, what's revival look like? Because everybody through history has their own idea what revival looks like. A renewing, a revival, a renewal. What's it look like? Looks like this in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together together. 
and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Uh-oh, I lost half of you thinking it's socialism. <laughs> what it means is they cared about one another. They met each other's needs. It's okay. Deep breath. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Here it is again. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why? Because they were devoted to something bigger than themselves. They were devoted for the, to the teaching of God. They were devoted to community and fellowship and a sense of family. They were committed to prayer and they were in awe. Some of us have been in church so long, we've lost our sense of awe. Man, I tell you what, the next time they, they start singing that last song again, you gotta get right down on the front row, lift your hand and say, God, I wanna be in awe of what you've done. I'm saved and heaven's my home because of who you are and what you've accomplished. We need a fresh sense of awe today. They ate, met in temple courts. They ate meals together. They were filled. Now listen to this. They, weren't, they, didn't, they didn't just say, I'd like a little joy today, please. They were filled with joy. They were filled with sincerity. There was something God was doing in them that it, it became known throughout the known parts of Jerusalem. Hey, there's something going on over there in that corner of Jerusalem. They are, they, they're, they're, something powerful is happening because they are filled with joy in joyless times. There's something of God moving in them and we gotta go see. And because of that, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. People saw what the church had and they wanted it. Hear me, church. People out there in Jerusalem saw what they had inside the temple gates and the courts and they wanted what they had. Oh, Jesus. Please let my light so shine that somebody out there wants what I have in here. Amen? The world couldn't compete with the joy and peace that Jesus offered. Even in times of emergency and crisis, the church shined. You know, in our meeting regarded, regarding this series, Pastor Daniel Taylor and I and others, we, we meet over in the uh, annex over there in that house back there. And, and we talk about stuff and all the pastors, and we all came together and I felt the Lord lead, lead us to Nehemiah chapters one and two and different passages of scripture. And in Nehemiah chapter two, Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer and he realizes after hearing from his brothers that Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. They're a wreck. There's holes and gaps, they've fallen down, they've been pushed over. And the gates of the city, which provide protection, have been burned. The Bible says Nehemiah sat there and his heart was filled with compassion. He was overwhelmed with, with sadness. And he began to pray, oh God. Let me tell you what he prayed. Oh God, use me. I guarantee it. Oh God, use me. And then he, the Bible says he repented. And then he got up and he began to strategize. And he began to plan and then he goes to Jerusalem with his brothers and he, he checks out the rubble and the destruction and the walls being torn down and the gates being burned. And then in verse 17 of chapter two, here's what he said. He turns to the people of Jerusalem. He said these things. He said, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. The walls are broken down, the gates of the city are burned and it's a perfect metaphor for what's happening today. 
see some of you were thinking about the game. I'll say it again. What was happening in Jerusalem with the walls being broken down and the gates being burned is a perfect analogy or example of what's taking place today. Friends, it doesn't take a PhD to look outside and see that culture's in a mess. It doesn't take a, 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 what's that number where you find out how smart you are? Thank you. (laughs) It doesn't take an high IQ. It doesn't take a high IQ to remember. (laughs) So Lord, help me remember. to know that there are marriages that are falling apart. We have so many people in need of counseling. All the people we contact, there's no room for them in the end. Marriage counselors are filled up. Counselors who deal with young people are full. Pastor Taylor and his team deal with, people, deal with young people who... Uh, are hurting themselves. The walls of the city are broken and the gates have been burned. We're, we're living now with, with things like this that bring the world into our homes, into our lives. Social media consumes, it dictates. People on this thing, we listen to more than the word of God. Is it okay to say that? The walls of the city are broken and the gates have been burned. We're listening more to talking heads on TV than we are godly men and women who who teach his word. Is that me? Who teach his word. The walls are broken down and the gates of the city are burned. And, And Nehemiah hears about it and he's filled with compassion. He does all of these things. And then he, he turns to the people and he says, Friends, the walls are broken and, and the place is, is a mess. And the people said, then let us rebuild. And the Bible said they had a mind to rebuild and they began to work together. I sense today, are you coming for me? (laughs) I sense today that if we're gonna rebuild the walls, rebuild the gates, then it's going it's to take, take four things. First thing is this. It starts with a sense of family. Friends, uh, I look at you and I don't see just people sitting there. I see family. Because together we are what the Bible calls the household of faith, the body, the church. We're called to be a family and do life together. It, it, there's this book. Uh, in, it's called Bowling Alone by sociologist Robert Putnam. And here's what he said. Uh, he said people uh, have lost that sense of community, that sense of being together, that sense of, of hanging out with other people. And he, he, he quoted this statistic. He said because of bowling can be indoor like in, in back east in the Midwest, a lot more people are bowling now than ever before. They're bowling. He said what's interesting though is they're not doing it in leagues. They're not doing it with friends or family. They're bowling alone. Now for, for us introverts, we say, well, yeah. For you extroverts, you say, why would you do that? But there is a loneliness that is consuming and the church must no longer be a part of it. We are family. I almost want to break out in that Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh uh, uh, Pirates when they were winning the uh, thing. We are family. But I won't. We're family. 
And we have to understand that. We are the people, the body, the household of God. It's obvious from scripture, especially in the Old Testament, Jesus always dealt with the people, plural. He dealt with Israel. Now, there were instances of individuals, but he always dealt with the people. It's really no different in the New Testament, but sometimes we think it is. You may come to Jesus individually, but you are immediately placed within the body of Christ. You are immediately part of the body, part of the household of faith, part of the family of God. And we need to start embracing that. Well, Pastor Ray, I'm too busy. Then you're too busy. Pastor Ray, I have other ideas. There can be no, you see, that's what people do with their faith. They build their life and then they have their, they have their faith surround what they're already doing. And Jesus said, you're not gonna do that. Our faith has to be central and then we build our lives around our faith. Does that make sense to everybody? And so that's what we're called to do. Uh, the second thing is this. Uh, we're family, but two, we need to build a strong foundation. I want you to listen to this. We need to know what we believe. We're desperate to know what we believe. Lifeway Research, which is a Southern Baptist back east, Lifeway Research in, in conjunction with Legionnaire Ministries, that's the, before he passed away, R.C. Sproul's organization, uh, did, did this survey of spirituality of scripture and theology. Here's what they found. They found, first of all, that most people don't believe that scripture is true. They don't believe scripture is true. Secondly, they don't believe Jesus is God. Thirdly, they believe that Jesus is a created being. They believe that the Holy Spirit is a force and not a person. And they believe that people are generally good. That last one, I'm thinking, really? Have you ever been on a playground? <laughs> but I'm just saying. But these are the, these are the things that people have in, in their heads and in their minds. Brothers and sisters, can I, you don't mind? I, I grew up saying that, and so I'm gonna start using it again. We need to, we need to know what it is we believe. You need to know about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, God. You need to know that Jesus was not created. He's fully God. The Holy Spirit is not the force of Star Wars. He's a person of the Trinity, triune God. You need to know, we need to know these things because if we don't understand orthodoxy, we'll never understand orthopraxis. Until we know what it is we believe, we won't be able to live the right way. And you can't skip this part. And, and forgive me, forgive us, but we're changing things here at Calvary. We're gonna know what it is we believe. We're gonna, starting in just a couple months, we're gonna know what it is we believe. So thirdly would be this, formation. We're called to practice the way of Jesus. This guy named John Mark Comer, some of you know, he's a, he's, he's a pretty big deal right now. He's starting some things. He's creating a wave of helping people practice the way of Jesus. And I think of 1 Peter 2.21, for to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Um, John Mark says these things, three things about foundation, or excuse me, formation. It says, number one, you need to slow down enough to be with Jesus, right? You need to slow down enough to be with Jesus. Secondly, we need to become like Jesus. And thirdly, we need to do what Jesus did, what Jesus does. Everyone still with me? Okay, I'm wrapping up. You got it. Don't get on that football game. I'm closing here. <laughs> then, then thirdly, I mean, if the first one is family, the second one is foundation, the third one is formation, then the last F, and we wanted to keep it simple, the last F is future, becoming part of the mission of God. Your life is not your own. The Bible says you were bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. And if you do, then the missio Dei, the mission of God belongs to you to go out and be witnesses in the name of Jesus. That's what we're called to do today. Be, Bible says, go therefore and make disciples and baptize and teach, all that. The result, and here's the crazy part, the result of a church that does life together is family. 
the result of a church that truly embraces what we know and who we are and what we believe, the church that stops long enough to have Sabbath and spend time with Jesus is the church that will be so filled with joy and purpose and meaning and peace that other people, the Holy Spirit, will just start sending them because any place like that is the place God wants to grow new, new believers. We, we together in that? So now listen, here's the problem. Even some of you listening, and, and, and have you ever experienced an emergency? I mean a bona fide emergency where it was important if you're a parent, maybe you have when your, your child was sick, maybe got croup or something and you didn't know what to do. And, and man, it was a big deal. Nothing else mattered. You didn't, care. you didn't care anything about how they got help. When the EMT showed up and your child was sick and, 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 and helpless and you didn't know what to do, you didn't care what, what, if they were Republican or Democrat. You just didn't care. You wanted to know they were capable. The main thing became the main thing. Everyone's still awake? It wasn't, it wasn't the foolishness that divides us. The main thing was the main thing. All you cared about was making sure your kid could breathe. But that's what happens in an emergency. The, the, the priorities rise to the top and some of the foolishness that's at the top begins to sink to the bottom because you realize that those things just aren't that important. When there's no emergency, we just go on as life is normal and it's no big deal and we, and we keep making our mistakes because we keep depending on ourselves and not the Lord. We can argue, we get divided over foolish things and, and, and it's crazy. We even argue about things that have nothing to do with the Bible or scripture following Jesus. Today, and I really am getting close to closing. Listen. I think the church is in a state of emergency. I think the church is in a state of emergency. I think there needs to be an urgency about pointing people to Jesus. I think there needs to be an urgency in an emergency about being walking, filled with the Holy Spirit, living life together. I think we have to know what it is we believe. We have to slow down to be with Jesus and be witnesses of, of, of another way of life. Why? Because the walls are broken down and the gates are burned. And if there's, if there's one group of people who should be burdened and overwhelmed by that, it should be you and I. The world waits to see if we believe what it is we say we believe. They, they know we talk the talk. They just want to see if we walk the walk. See what it is we believe. It's past time. It's, it's, we, have to stop being, we, have to, we have to stop being a taster of churches. Oh, that's a fine full bouquet of worship today. Ah, oh, that message has a nice after oaky smell or whatever it is. I know nothing about this stuff. I'm making up as I go. Ah, that service has a fine full flavor. C.S. Lewis wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters. If, you've ever, if you haven't read it, it's, it's kind of, uh, the head demon is talking to a, a junior demon about how to get people away from Jesus and the church. And, and here's, here's what he said. Now remember, this is opposite day. Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood. That's English spelling of neighborhood, by the way. Looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. Friends, I love you enough to tell you we're not called to be connoisseurs of, of different churches. We're not called to be tasters. We're called to be, if you will, embracers. I, 
Beloved, I don't care where you go. I'd love you to come here, but wherever you feel family is for you, you need to go there and jump in and say, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be part of the mission to see people come to know Jesus. It's time to become part of what God's doing. Well, how do we accomplish this? Hebrews chapter 12, not one, but 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer perfecter. So much is hindering us right now. I know what's hindering me. What's hindering you? What is it that clouds your mind and takes your focus off the things of the Lord? What is it in your life that hinders you from listening to the Holy Spirit speak into your life even as I'm speaking right now? What is it for you? What the writer of Hebrews just said is throw it off, cast it away. Run with perseverance. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't let foolishness or the things of this world distract you from keeping your eyes on Jesus. Look at me right here. We all fix our eyes on something. Every one of us fixes our eyes on something and whatever you stare at determines your direction. Did you catch that? Whatever you stare at determines your direction in life, determines my direction. Quote by Dr. Crawford Lawrence said this, the church will serve as a visible destination to which the culture should eventually arrive. People are watching us. I even like uh, Dr. Tony Evans when he said this, the church will serve as a commercial for the coming attraction. What's a commercial do? It, it, it points you to something better or, or makes, makes you want it. We need to be a commercial for the glory and the power and the majesty of God. We need to point people to Jesus by how we live and how we do church together, how we do this life together, family, foundation, formation, and a future. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking yesterday, I think it was yesterday, this October was the time that I came from Orange County. Came up here and we started work on an old building downtown Sumner. Jesse and Val, remember, they were in it. My brother-in-law brought 13 or 14 painters up. They painted the entire facility in a weekend and the Parsons next door. My dad brought up carpet. I and some other pastors that I knew, we took more stuff to the landfill than I knew it was possible. It was amazing. That first service with the painters here, we had 12 people. And it was amazing. I can't believe I'm standing here telling you it was 35 years ago. 35 years. I'll be honest enough to say in those 35 years, there were some pretty harsh times. Times I wanted to quit. Times where I wasn't focusing on Jesus, I was focusing on people and it about killed me. Times when I was kneeling at that weight bench saying, tears running down my face, saying, God, I quit. Hearing that still small voice says, well, you don't quit till I tell you you quit. And yet what I, what I intend to tell you is not how bad it is. What I intend to tell you is that for 35 years, God's been faithful. God's been so, so, so good to me. 
that for every bad day, there have been hundreds that the glory and the power of God has filled this place. And people have worshiped and people have gotten into the word and people have served this community and the presence and the purpose of God has just poured out on this place. I've stood out in the snow after a Christmas Eve marathon with the snow coming down gently and just standing there and watching and just saying, God, thank you for letting me be a part of what you're doing. Because I don't deserve it. I know what I deserve, friend. I know I'm unworthy, but for God's grace. So whatever years I have left, I want to be about three or four things. I want to be about family, helping you form a strong foundation, learning to stand in the presence of Jesus. And there's still people that need the Lord. I invite you to start the next phase of Calvary Community Church, Calvary Community Church 2.0. Forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to what God has in store tomorrow and the next day and the next day. I'm gonna stop talking. And the ushers are gonna come and we're gonna celebrate communion before we go.